Well, good morning to all of you. It is good to see you all this morning. We're continuing to make our way through the book of Luke, examining the life and the ministry of Jesus together. That's what we've been doing for, um, boy, a number of months now. And uh, we're coming to a story this morning that just might be difficult for some of us. Um, what we're looking at this morning is the story of Jesus' and, Jesus' encounter with a demon-possessed man. Uh, it's a malevolent spirit. And, uh, and so before I dig into this, can I just take a few moments of personal privilege to try and talk about a couple things before we start looking at this story? And the first is that um, when we gather together uh, to hear from God's Word and we study it together, one of the things we're doing is we're looking to arrange our lives under the authority of God's Word as He reveals it to us, as He reveals Himself to us. And, uh, and His Word is given to us to encourage us and strengthen us, to edify us, and to, to convict us. And, uh, and this story is is here because God gave it to us, and, and it comes with a call to, to take it seriously, um, and we shouldn't look past that. But at the same time, I, uh, I just want to acknowledge that there are probably some in this room that have probably had difficult experiences when it surrounds this subject, and, uh, and maybe have sat under some, maybe some harmful teaching or something like that. And uh, I, I just want to acknowledge that, and I don't want to bury the lead this story is about why we can have comfort in Christ, who is Lord over all things. And I hope that I'm giving you a sermon that honors that intent. But the story here is why we can have peace through our relationship with Christ and all of those things. Um, and so there is nothing in the story, there is nothing in the story that if you are in Christ, you have to be afraid of. I just want to get that out there in front of you. And then, uh, and then finally, I want you to know, parents, I'm very aware of the number of children that are in this room, and my hope is that uh, I am going to talk about pieces of this in the same way I would talk about it with my own sons. Um, is there a problem with my mic, Jeff? Is it okay? Uh, my hope is that I'm going to talk about this in a way that I'll talk about it with my own sons, and uh, all the same, Matt and Jessica and I have been in conversation all week long about this as I've been working on it. And we all stand prepared to, to help if you, if you want um, more conversation or engagement, if, like we're throwing you into a conversation with your own kids about these things or something like that. We are all uh, happily available to assist in those things. Okay? All right. Long intro. With all of that, let's dig in. This is God's word given to us in love. It's absolutely true. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Please read it with me if you can. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, and for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. 
And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, uh, I pray that as we sit under your word, that we would hear from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be active among us, that you would proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to our hearts that we need to hear so badly. I pray that you would help me, uh, your servant, to go humbly before your people, to serve them well, to encourage them. Uh, I pray you would give me a clear mind and strength. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So some of you know that I used to ride a motorcycle. Uh, that was years ago. Years ago, I sold my bike, and I still, um, I still think about that bike every now and then. Uh, if you're familiar at all, you would know that a, there's some kind of attachment that happens between a rider and, uh, and his motorcycle, and uh, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. But uh, I still miss that thing. Um, I, I still have pictures on my phone right next to pictures of my own children. <laughs> and... and uh, I, there's something about it I just love. I, mean, I love the wind and the speed. Uh, I really love the fellowship of riders that, that exists. Like, you probably have seen how we wave to each other when we're passing each other on the road. And, uh, um, you know, if you meet somebody in a gas station, you, you find it would be rude not to say hi to somebody else who was riding. And, uh, and you end up talking with a friend that you feel like you might have known for a number of years. Uh, it's just really sweet. You feel like you're a part of a uh, a club of, of uh, slightly dangerous people, which I, which I really liked. Um, but for all of that, there, there's just something that I never got over when I used to ride my motorcycle, and it was just the sense of vulnerability that you had all the time, uh, or that I had all the time when I rode. I mean, there was, uh, the, I mean, none of this is shocking to you. You don't have to do anything wrong, right? I mean, you you could be an excellent rider in complete control. And, uh, and yet you are still vulnerable to all kinds of forces that are outside your control. It could happen at any time. And I, I just never could shake that when I rode. In fact, I had people that would tell me that had been riding a lot longer than I was that it was a sense of that vulnerability was actually a good thing to, to harbor, just to know that uh, was, was wise. And, uh, and you could actually be in more danger uh, if you lost that sense of just how vulnerable you were. In this passage, what we see is that Jesus meets a vulnerable man. 
And we don't know why. It would be unwise to speculate about exactly how this happened to this man. But Jesus meets this vulnerable man that for some reason has been subject to spiritual torment for who knows how long. And what we see in this passage is how Jesus responds to the vulnerable man that he comes across. And there's so much to this passage, I can't see, there's no way I can unpack it all. But I want to say three simple things to you. One is that we have an enemy. And two is that we have a defender. And three is that we have a mission. Enemy, defender, mission. First, we've got an enemy. You know, my guess is that most of us don't really talk about demons all that often. Uh, It's certainly not dinner conversation for many of us. Uh, We don't live in spaces that talk about them for for most of us probably in this room. Uh, We might see them in a movie. Um, Maybe not. Um, But it's... uh, it's not something that we talk about, but we do have it. We do talk about enemies. Like we do have enemies, right? Uh, enemies. Uh, like you could probably talk about who your enemies are at some point. If I passed out sheets of paper and you were to write down your enemies, um, it probably wouldn't be too hard to at least name a few. Those enemies. When you think about enemies, usually you're thinking about people. But the biblical proposition to you is that, um, that you have an enemy that's far more powerful than any person that you, that you might come across. And like all well-told stories, the Bible introduces us to this enemy very early in the story, in Genesis chapter 3. And there what we see is Adam and Eve uh, uh, were tempted by Satan in their, in, and disobeyed God. And Adam and Eve are responsible for their sin, just like you and I are responsible for our sin. But we're missing an important part of the story if we don't also see that they were helped along the way by, something who, by, by, by someone whose intent was to deceive and to harm them. But they had a very real enemy. And in the story, what we're seeing is that this enemy is something that we really should be aware of and to take seriously. And the Bible doesn't try to reason this out with us. It just tells us the truth of it. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us to be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is your real enemy. And in this passage, one of the things we see is just what this enemy intends and it's hard to imagine what you see, what, like it's hard to imagine this man that we see in this passage, it's really difficult to look at. We see when Jesus gets on the shore, this man doesn't have any clothes on. Um, this man is isolated from his community. This man lives in a territory that's literally characterized by death. He lives amongst the tombs that were strewn across the hillside. This, this story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's account is even a little more graphic. But we see that this guy has uh, cut himself with stones. And when you look at all these things, what you see is someone who has been completely stripped of their human dignity. That the intent of this enemy is to do whatever he can to harm those who bear the image of God. 
And we also see that this enemy comes with some kind of power. Verse 29 says that for many a time it had seized him. It it, it almost gives us the impression that they can come and go as they please, that they were in complete control. Um, They also had immense strength. The people probably trying to protect, the townspeople probably trying to protect this guy from himself, bound him up and and he broke the chains and the shackles that held him with some kind of uncommon strength. And when Jesus talks to the demon, he says, what's your name? The demon says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And a legion was the largest unit in a Roman army, 6,000 soldiers at full strength. And uh, the point is not that they're, you know, to give us a number of what was there, but the point was to tell us that this is a powerful coalition of enemies that have gathered against the good of this person. Now, Why is it important for us to read stories like this? More importantly, the question for us to ask is, why would God give us this story? Well, one of the reasons is that it's just trying to show us who our real enemy is. It's just trying to to help us understand that. And, and, And friends, your real enemy isn't your neighbor. Your real enemy is not that person that you don't like. Your real enemy is not that person who has an agenda that's counter to yours in any number of places. Your real, those might be enemies, but listen, your real enemy is not that coworker that gets on your last nerve, who, who even seems to be intent on making your, last, uh, making your life miserable. Those are not your, that's not your real enemy. The Bible is making a proposal to you that, that you do have a real enemy. And it's unwise not to be aware of that. C.S. Lewis, I can't match his wisdom, obviously, but C.S. Lewis really helps us on this point. Uh, he talks about how to think about the presence of evil in the world when he says this, and here, here, follow me if you can. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our, our race, talking about us as humans, can fall about the devils. He says, one is to disbelieve in their existence entirely. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them, that they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. And what he's saying to us is that it's unwise. There are two ways that we can you know, make serious mistakes in how to think about this enemy that we have. And one is to ignore them completely, which the Bible won't let us do if we take it seriously. But the other is to develop such a fascination with them that they might take up an unhealthy space in our head and our heart, that we might become preoccupied with those things. And the question, I think, for this, uh, you know, when we think about this, is, is how? Like, we just looked at a story that talks about a, a, a force that seeks our harm that exists with some kind of power that we can't control. And uh, if you're like me, it's hard not to get fixated on something that's out there that's against our good. Like, I I would want to know more about that. And I would even want to study it. And how in the world can uh, can I be aware of that and not be unhealthily fixated on it? And the answer to that is simply because just as you have an enemy, and this story is teaching us that clearly, it's also important to know that this story is telling you that if you are in Christ, 
You, uh, every week when we get together, we have a, a confession of faith, right? And we, we're working through the Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism, and uh, it's wonderful. This morning we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Thank you for that. But one of my very favorites, and one that explodes with all kinds of reasons that we have for hope, is number 26. It's, uh, if you don't have your catechism memorized, it's okay. I want you to know it's okay. But the question it asks is, how does Christ execute the office of a king? And it says that Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And what you see in this passage is so sweet. Because Jesus is living out the office of king in front of us in this passage as he is defending this man from his enemy. And one of the things we see is that Jesus is incredibly powerful. If this enemy runs with some kind of power, what we see is that Jesus is the supreme power. And the demons know it too. They know it. Because when he sets foot on that, on that shore... They come to him, and the question they ask, you see it in verse 28, the question they ask is, uh, uh, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. They know, with an intimate knowledge, That when Jesus walks, when He speaks, when He draws near, He is coming with a power that they don't know what to do with. And then you see it again in verse 32 when they they begged Him for permission to enter the pigs. Do not cast me into the abyss. Let me enter those pigs. They're asking for permission because they know with an intimate knowledge of just what Jesus is capable of. And listen, we really need to know that. We need to know with a deep conviction that uh, when we trust our lives to Jesus, that we're trusting our lives to the supreme power over all things. But I would submit to you that that's not enough. We, We do need to know that, but we also need to know that He cares about you. That He has a, a loving disposition toward you. That He is is willing to exercise his power on your behalf. And I would submit to you that question is also answered here in this passage. Because when you look at this story, who is Jesus going to toe to toe with immediately? His complete attention is focused on this evil presence. You could say he was preeminently occupied by this. In fact, he doesn't even say anything to the man until the end of the story, after he's got him clothed and in his right mind. But when Jesus Jesus gets on uh, the side of this shore, he is immediately locked in and engaged with eliminating this presence for the sake of this man. He is a willing defender. So he's a powerful defender and he's a willingly def- willing defender. And all this, I would submit to you, is because he's a power, he is a, the promised defender. Let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. I mean, the, the heartbreak 
just the heartbreak of that story is that Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God. It was wonderful. It was as God created it. Adam and Eve disobey God and a curse enters the world. And, uh, and, and you and I, we've been living under that curse ever since. But the curse begins, this is Luke chapter, or Genesis chapter 3, the curse begins with God saying some things to the snake. That's the first person, or that's the first thing, the snake's not a person I guess, so it's the first thing that God directs his attention to. And he says this, he said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Opposition will define your relationship to each other, is what he's saying. And then he says this, he says, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of many that God is sending a defender to rid the world of evil and set it to rights. Genesis chapter 3.15, if you want to look at it, Jesus is promising that there will come from the woman's offspring a defender who will strike the head of the serpent for the sake of his people. And, And when we look at these stories, what you are witnessing is the heavenly defense that God promised to his people from the very beginning. And, and when Jesus entered the world, it was to fulfill that promise. When he deals with the sick and raises people from the dead, he's doing battle with our last enemy. And, and when he preaches the forgiveness of sins through grace, he is crushing the head of the serpent. And when he willingly puts himself on the cross, he is taking the worst that our enemy has to offer so that you and I don't have to. Listen, you're seeing a picture of the very heart of Jesus for this man, but also for you and for me. You're seeing him exercise his power as our promised defender, going toe-to-toe with our worst enemy, all for the sake of the people that he loves. Now that is sweet. If you believe in Jesus this morning, then he's your defender too. And my hope for you and for me is that when we look at this story, we're going to have a measure of peace, but that's not all we have, is it? Well, we also, we also see that we have a mission. We have a mission. Listen, there's a major point to this whole story that I want you to see. It has to do with announcements. In verse 34, the pig herders saw what happened. You know, you remember the pigs? That's kind of strange, isn't it? So the pig herders, those that were responsible for all these pigs, they, uh, they, they, it says they saw what happened and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So their response, Mark tells us that, that it was 2,000 pigs. And for that town, that is big business for them. They're losing serious money and the pig herders are no doubt going to have to offer an explanation for how they lost so much of, uh, uh, of the townspeople's money when they lost those pigs, okay? But the word that's used here is the word for announce. They are announcing what happens. So they're telling everybody what just happened. They're announcing it. And then this word appears again in verse 36 where it says, those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Everyone's announcing. Listen, everyone is announcing, okay? that everybody's announcing. And so Jeff can't explain what's going on with the thing. 
I'll just keep announcing and try to wrap this up for you, okay? So everybody's in. Jesus has made announcers of everyone. Um, But listen, those people who were announcing were also really afraid. And they asked Jesus to leave. And, and And Jesus went to leave. And then in verse 38, this is just beautiful. The man begged that he might go with Jesus. It's totally understandable. Like he might have been asking to be a part of the inner circle of twelve disciples. That uh, he might have been asking for that. He might have just wanted to be near the man that gave him his life back. But he asked him to go with him, and uh, and Jesus says no, and then commissions him to go back home and proclaim the good news of what God has done for them for him. And then you see in verse thirty nine. Listen, and proclaiming was the word for preaching. And in verse 39, what you see is that this man went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. There are going to be those who announce. And then there are those who proclaim. There are those who are happy to tell you what they saw. And then there are those whose souls are gripped by the wonder of knowing Jesus that they won't shut up about it. And they will talk and they will talk because they're living out the sheer astonishment of just what Jesus has done. And so I just want, I want to close by asking you this question. Is your soul gripped by the wonder of what Jesus has done for you? We found this man broken, And Jesus put him back together. Have you been put back together? And are you living out the astonishment that Jesus invites us into? If you're excited about something, you will talk about it. And the mission that we have to proclaim in word and in deed is the best thing about us is what our Savior has done for you and for me. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray asking that you would help us to understand the truth of these things. Give us the joy of knowing you. And if we have tired souls this morning. I pray you would protect us, that you would enliven us, that you would help us to fall in love with your word again. Wonderful goodness of what you have done for us. And, and, uh, and Lord, I pray you would fill us up and that we might serve you, serve our families, serve our city by proclaiming the goodness of what Jesus has done for us. I pray that you would help us to inhabit this mission. In Jesus' name, amen.